This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. I'd like to thank everyone for coming to our second event in our series of one book events on um, Malcolm X. One of the, one of the themes uh, that we're pulling out of Malcolm X is the um, Islamic faith and uh, the discussion of um, the Muslim people in America and around the world. So to start off that theme, uh, we're going to hold today's event on the basis of Islam, so I appreciate everyone for coming. I want to do a quick thank you to um, Moraine's Multicultural Student Affairs for their support of this event, and um, I also think that this event is uh, very appropriate given that we're the month of Ramadan. So uh, we are recording uh, this event today. We'll put out on our website as a podcast, so... Um, for all of your friends who are unable to come, you know, please uh, let everyone know that that's out there. Uh, also, there's, we have a number of materials on display here in our library collection for further study, and we hope people take advantage of that. Um, with that, we are very well. We're very uh, happy to welcome um, Sheikh Kifab Mustafa. Um, he is a Iman and associate director of the Mosque Foundation, which is a leading organization serving the Muslim community in the southwest suburban area. Uh, he's a, a registered chaplain with the Red Cross, a public speaker, and is very active in interfaith relations. So uh, we look forward to hearing uh, him give us a nice introduction and, and start us off on this line of discussion for this year. So thank you. Okay. Good afternoon. Yes, it's human afternoon, huh? And thank you for being with us today. And hopefully that it will be an experience that everyone who is joining us today will learn something new or at least revive and renew some of the info that they might have learned somewhere back in time. Uh, today's topic was told to be Islam 101 in which we will be focusing on the basic beliefs and practices that the Muslim people do and I would want to cover that in brief and deep, but try to extend something beyond that. I will try to uh, manage my time in somewhere between 30 to 45 minutes of the presentation, and then uh, I will leave something like 15 minutes for questions and answers if there is any uh, one of the items would like to uh, have any comments or ask any questions. I wanted to start by this slide in which titled the Abrahamic faith and under it you could see the Judaism, Christianity and Islam and the reason we say that because we as Muslims believe we are not something new we do belong to this series of prophets and messengers that were sent by God and if Abraham is the father of all prophets and messengers we do believe that we reconnect with our fellow brothers and sisters in the Judaism and in the Christianity faith in which we all meet and go back to one person which is Adam as humans but even in the line of prophecy we do believe that our prophet Muhammad uh, the prophet that was sent to God uh, is a descendant of Abraham we know that Abraham had a wife called Sarah in which he had a son called Isaac, and then from Isaac came Jacob. But we also know that Abraham married a lady from Egypt by the name of Hagar. She was to be a maid, but then he would marry her and have her son 
uh, a son from her called Ishmael, or in our Islamic Arabic language term Ismail, in which Abraham received a revelation from God to take his wife uh, Hajar and his son Ishmael and take them to the place now called Mecca in Saudi Arabia, in which he would leave them there and come back when his son Ishmael grows up and he will build the first place of worship on earth which we call the term Kaaba I will come to that later on the reason I'm bringing that is that we do belong to this chain of messengers and prophets that were sent by God and we indeed do really think that as religions as people of faith we all belong to God indeed we should and we do have in common more than what other people think. So, understanding Islam and Muslims, this is what we will be trying to focus on. Well, what is Islam? I mean, from just this slide, uh, I want you to look at Muslims and Islam as normal fellow citizens around you, people with family, people who might be just uh, running on the lakeshore drive, you know, getting their uh, jog in the morning, people who are uh, sipping coffee by Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, whatever they can afford. Uh, people who are also uh, conducting their right to pray to God and to uh, be able to practice this God-given right which is to pray to your Lord in the way you would want to pray now. That seeing people standing in the middle of the street praying might be a little bit awkward or something new for a lot of people. But indeed this is the way we uh, practice our faith and this is how we communicate with God and we do believe that living in this space is one of the unique things that uh, protects such rights and this is what makes our country so great. A monotheism religion indeed Islam is. And when we say that, what is that we are calling people to? Or what is that that makes us different or unique? Briefly we could say that Islam recognizes, believes and worship God. And if anyone recognizes and believes and worships God, there is some common ground between them and us. We also believe in heaven and hell. This is one of our core beliefs. We also believe that there is a day of judgment, that each one will stand trial and their deeds will be weighed in a scale. And your deeds will be relieved out either going to the enjoying the mercy from God and going to heaven or going into some other places of punishment called hell. We do enjoin what is right and we do forbid what is wrong. And indeed we do follow the divine guidance. Now in enjoying what is right and forbidding what is wrong, there's also a lot of areas that we share with people around the world what we believe as common ground if it was moral or ethical issues that we come together. Islam is not just a uh, a religion that you might have heard something about it in a news station or on a radio station. It's a universal religion indeed. Uh, it's a comprehensive religion. It, it covers, it focuses on every aspect of, of life that relates to the human being. Uh, not just at a place where it could be sent to be designated to an area where people are Bedouins or living in the desert. Uh, Muslims are all over the world and uh, if anyone had a chance to travel anywhere in the world, 
uh, the next few slides will uh, give you some more explanation about uh, what is the number of Muslims worldwide and what ethnicity, culture, background they come to. I will explain that in a second. We call people regardless of their race and gender to unite. We believe through the text that we received from God and that the tradition of the Prophet, one of his quotes, he said that all of us belong to Adam and Adam came from dust. So we are all equal and united under that theme. So I should feel that I am a normal person like anybody else would feel that he is a normal person because we are all human. And, and that theme is very much uh, like focused on in Islam and, and there is a lot of references to that. Islam also considers all people as brothers and sisters. Another quote from the Holy Quran, the book for Muslims. Oh you people, we have created you from different tribes and nations so you may know each other. So Islam recognizes that people are on earth from different tribes, from different nations, but their presence on earth is to maintain communication so they may know each other, so they would deal with each other. Islam came and brought these themes and these ideas in the very early beginning times of presenting Islam. We are talking about a period of more than 1400 years ago. And under that, there is no place for uh, discrimination because of race, of gender, uh, ethnicity, uh, so on. Indeed, we look at each other as a one family, as mankind. This might be something that might make it clear to you. Uh, a Muslim should be a normal person like anybody else. And living in Chicago, I would assume there is uh, someone from somewhere around this world in Chicago. I mean, if, if you live in any major city in the States, you would run in every ethnicity, I would believe. Uh, so I'm sure you would have seen a lot of people around you with such customs being probably women putting on scarf or some men wearing certain coat dresses or cultural dresses. Uh, I chose to bring up this picture. Uh, this is the Grand Mosque. You see that black, uh, it's, it's a room actually, uh, normal size room, covered with uh, silk material, a black cover. And this is where Abraham built the mosque with his son Ishmael. This is the same town and city that Muhammad was born and raised in. This is where more than 800,000 Muslims packed that mosque. The number of people you see here is, uh, it is estimated that that mosque will hold up to 800,000 people. Now this is a picture taken at one of the uh, practices of Islam which we will be covering later on called pilgrimage. And of course there is not much zoom in to, to tell you the uh, differences between all these people. These people are coming from all over the world. And whoever had a chance to go visit that place uh, in Mecca, you would really understand what I am talking about when it comes to the issue of ethnicities and diversities. You might be standing next to someone who is Chinese, next to someone who is Malaysian, next to someone who is from Morocco, next to someone who is from the States, next to someone who is from Germany, next to someone who is from uh, South Africa. All these people come together. This is the theme of unity. This is what I wanted to bring into the core of our belief, we believe that people are equal 
and unity is presented in one of the first pillars of Islam. This is just also some uh, slides, pictures about people who are of different backgrounds, ethnicities, and cultures, but they all share the same thing. They all believe in Islam as their God, being Allah, and I will explain that in a second. 1.7 billion, this is the number of Muslims worldwide, and that brings it somewhere to around one-fourth of the, of the world population. 57 countries worldwide have Muslims as the majority of their population, including 22 Arab countries. But keep in mind, a lot of people sometimes mix with that, only 18 to 25, 20%, something like that, of Muslim population are Arabs. The largest Muslim country worldwide is Indonesia, and none of them speaks Arabic, but they're all Muslims. In Malaysia, there's like hundreds of millions. In China, there's like 250 million Muslims. In India, there's also around 150 million Muslims. So we're not talking about every Muslim has to be an Arab. That's not true, and not every Arab has to be a Muslim. There is way lot, 80% of the Muslim population are not Arab, and there's a lot of Arabs who are Christians or Jews, or they might believe in something different, just for you to keep in mind. And Indonesia, as I said, is the biggest uh, Muslim country. This is one of the mosques in Jakarta, Indonesia, in which it holds, it's called Al-Istiqlal Mosque, or uh, Independence Mosque, uh, translated. And the capacity for it is 100,000 people who attend that mosque. Now they go there every week for the Friday prayer. Now if we want to focus a little bit here in the States, uh, Muslims now, we don't have an exact number of how many Muslims there are living in the States, but some uh, through the census and through some uh, private uh, you know, documentations, they are estimating between 8 to 10 billion. So it is a large number of Muslims living in the States. In Chicago, we would believe somewhere between 350 to 400,000 Muslims are living in Chicago. That's when you add the, uh, you know, Afro-Americans, Asians, Arab, Caucasians, uh, uh, Latinos, is a growing number of Muslims now also. Um, it's also diverse. When we talk about the states, because of the type of diversity we have in the states, uh, and because the states, uh, as I always call it, the mecca of opportunities, uh, everyone would like to have, you know, uh, some sort of a chance that he can come and, and he can make it here financially, uh, live a decent life, enjoy family values. So with this. Uh, available for people to come and reside in the States will bring people from all over the world and of course some of them will be Muslims. Uh, they have Muslims, you know, we, uh, we are talking about different type of, um, for example, what we call a mosque, a place for prayer. The Arabic term for that is masjid. Um, you could go to, from India to Taj Mahal, that's a place for worship to the uh, place I just uh, showed a few months ago, the uh, place in Mecca, to some uh, mosques around you in the neighborhood, 
the latest mosque around us here was the prayer center in Orland Park. Uh, it was just established a couple of years ago. But you're all welcome to visit us. We are just a few blocks down from you where I come from, the Mosque Foundation on 92nd and Harlem. And uh, I might know many familiar faces among you, uh, whoever sometimes is taking comparative religion or, or world religions, they come and they uh, attend our mosque, they see the congregation in prayer, they take notes, they ask questions. So this is an open invitation for anyone who would like to learn more to join us. Uh, we do believe that we also have contributed to the world. Uh, if it comes to issues of civilization, and here's just a list of what could be something that people of Islamic faith have contributed to humanity, from science to chemistry to algebra, engineering, technology, civil rights, industry, education, knowledge, exploration, name it. You will know that there is some sort of contribution for Muslims somewhere. And if we're talking here in the States, just for the, uh, you know, uh, to remember, the uh, engineer who worked the uh, Sears Tower was a Muslim, uh, for those people who might not have that piece of information. In NASA, there's a lot of people. In the uh, field of law enforcement, there's a lot of people. Uh, General Abi Zayn, you know, he's an Arab. He's not a Muslim, but he's an Arab uh, descent from Lebanon, and so on. Uh, this picture uh, is in Cedar Rapids, where all these kids and, and families this is the earliest, the first mosque ever built as a mosque in the States, in Ireland. It was established in 1916, actually. And we do believe that Islam is way more early with people, especially the Afro-American community, who were brought as slaves from Africa, and sometimes, uh, throughout time, they were either forced to change their religion, or under certain circumstances, they had to. But there were a lot of people who kept their faith and they uh, reflect to their uh, background coming from Africa. Mainly a lot of Muslims uh, are living in Africa. And these are some other mosques just to tell you what a mosque would look like. There is no special design for a mosque. Uh, it's, a, it's an architect issue. Uh, there are some domes that might reflect the Middle Eastern type of uh, architect. But you could basically build any type of mosque, and you could call it a mosque, it could be just a normal room. Now, with this type of introduction, we'll go into our main issue here. What is Islam, and what does it mean? Islam means peace. It also means to surrender and to submit. And it is peacefully, if we want to describe it in more detail, willfully, knowingly, submitting your free will to voluntarily obey God's divine guidance. And to attain peace, you can only attain it through submission. And that would reflect on all your aspects of life. If the person who chooses to surrender and to submit to God, he will enjoy or she will enjoy peace, not just in this life, in this life and in the hereafter, not just in the way we understand peace, like living in peace, it's inner peace, peace with your family, peace with your neighbors, peace in the environment you are living among. Okay, who is this 
creation we are talking about? What type of God Muslims worship? What is the divine guidance? This creator that Muslims believe in is called Allah. And it is the proper name for God in Arabic. By the way, if you go pick a translated or, 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 or a Bible in Arabic, you would use, you would see that they are using the term Allah, not something else. So Allah is the proper name for God in the Arabic language. Some of the attributes, the God, the Creator, the Unique, the One and Only, the Cherisher and Sustainer, the Sovereign, the Almighty, the Real, the Eternal and the Everlasting. We do believe that God described Himself in the text of the Quran, the Holy Book for Muslims, and more than 99 names and descriptions. All these names and descriptions reflect on how would we understand God and how would we define God and what does that mean to us. Of course, if you go back to the old uh, Hebrew classic language, Elohim, and then to the Aramaic in which the old Aramaic language the Bible was revealed with, the Elah. And then comes the Arabic term Ilah, which also means God, but then Allah is the proper name in the Arabic language for God. Of course, people would reflect to God in different languages. It was Yahweh, Jehovah, Allah, God, Elohim, Dios, and so on. But when we use the term Allah in Arabic, we are focusing on what we believe is our God worship. God has no gender. He could not be described as masculine or feminine. He has no mother or father. He has no children or relatives. God is not part of the creation. We don't believe that God would create something and then be part of it. He is the creator. He is about that. If you can touch it, taste it, see it, smell it, then it is not God. Continuing to what Muslims believe as God is, I would quote a verse from the Quran, saying, He is Allah, the one and only, Allah the eternal, the absolute, He begets not, nor He begotten, and there is nothing comparable to Him. The concept of monotheism, the pure monotheism, the term for that verses in Arabic language is Tawheed. And I don't want to get you mixed up with all these terms, just focus on the English words that should be fine. It, it, it reflects the complete oneness in reference to God. Allah has no equals, no partners, nothing else is worthy of worship but Him. Nothing else is worthy of praise but Him. Allah has power over all things. Everything is dependent on God. God is not dependent on anything. He is perfect. He is supreme. He is sovereign. Allah deserves all reverence, worship, praise, respect, and devotion. Another quote to reflect on that. There is no God but He, the living, the self-sufficient, eternal, 
no slumber can seize him, nor sleep. His are all things in the heavens and on earth. Who is there who can intercede in his presence, except as he permits? He knows what lies before them, and what is after them, and they comprehend not anything of his knowledge except such as he wills. His throne comprises the heavens and the earth, the preserving of them tires him not. He is all high, all glorious. You will run into too many verses in the Quran describing God. To Allah belongs the most beautiful names. As I said before, Quran mentioned 99 names of God or attributes. Each attribute of these is descriptive of a perfect and supreme quality, which precludes any kind of defect or weakness. God can never be weak. God can never be vulnerable to sleep. God would never need to eat. God would never need to uh, sit down to rest because he would never get tired and, and so on. Any type of description that will describe God as a vulnerable entity, Muslims don't believe that it would ever apply on God. Each attribute belongs only to them. These are the 99 names. I'm not going to uh, read it to you, but I mean, just for you to take a look. I'll just give a couple of seconds for each slide here. This will take me into what Muslims believe. It starts by what we call a declaration of faith or you, you write the passage. It is the statement that people would say to state that they accept God as one and that they accept Muhammad as a prophet. There is no true deity to be worshipped but Allah, God, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. A lot of people try to, if you are to ask a Muslim what is the first pillar of Islam, they will tell you the witness. And that might reflect on certain aspect of that first pillar, but mainly it's, it's the declaration of faith. It's the statement that someone would need to say to consider himself or herself uh, as Muslim. Now, we also believe that there is no compulsion in Islam and in religion. You cannot force anyone to accept something that they don't believe in. So that statement, that declaration of faith has to come from a free will. People would need to accept that truly, full-heartedly, and, and declare it as their faith. We do believe that everyone is born a Muslim, though. Not in the term of they are praying the five daily prayers and fasting the month of Ramadan, but back to the term where we explain Muslim being submitting and surrendering to God. If you are a creation of God, then you are a Muslim. You, you do belong to this submitting and surrendering uh, process that is applicable on everything that God has created. We believe that Islam is a natural religion, spiritually, mentally, physically, and we are all born pure without sin. No one is born with the burden of carrying any sins on their back. Our free will peacefully surrendered to God's will, and we are definitely attracted programmed to accept our Creator. You feel it. Maybe when everything is running fine for you, you might not feel it. But if you're driving on 294, 
in December and a lot of snow around you and this car started spinning around then you'll remember that for sure whatever you are praying to I'm sure you mentioned his name <laughs> and our soul constantly reminds us of our creator that's how we believe that there is this inclination in us that makes us connect with him and, and, and bring the understanding and the need of that relation with him we always uh, call on him and in Islamic faith uh, people always pray to God and no one else and we believe that all of creation prove God's existence. Allah or God created everything. We should study the creation because it proved God's existence. No matter where we turn, God's intelligent design will be undeniable, overwhelming and totally convincing. Because science, physics, chemistry, biology, theology, name it, God is there. Now God did not leave us without guidance. He wanted people to be among us to show us the path, how to live our life, and how to conduct ourselves as real moral people to please Him. That's why He sent messengers and prophets. These people explained God's existence, God's oneness, and God's plan for us. They came to recognize and accept and obey God's guidance to show us how to do that and they taught us morals, ethics, and how to worship them. They were role models of how to implement what they preached, and they delivered the divine guidance for our benefit. If it was the book revealed on Moses, the Torah, or the Bible on Jesus, or the Quran on Muhammad. And as I said in the beginning, we don't believe that Islam is a new or was a new religion. The code that we rely and refer to in the Quran for that verse uh, 83 chapter 3 say we believe in Allah God and that which was revealed to us and that which was revealed to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob and the tribes and that which was given to Moses, Jesus and to the prophets from the Lord we make no distinction between any of them and to him God we submit so Muslims do accept and believe in the following divine guidances, the Torah to Moses, the Psalms to David, Gospel to Jesus, and the Quran to Muhammad. What do we know of Jesus? There is a lot of verses speaking about Jesus in our Holy Quran, about his mother Mary, the Virgin. Muslims respect, love, honor, and also revere Jesus. Jesus is considered one of the main major prophets that were sent by God. Jesus was born from the Virgin Mary in a miraculous way to prove his prophecy. We also believe that Jesus was a word of God, that God spoke the word that was translated into this uh, prophet that was sent by him called Jesus. But however, we as Muslims do not consider Jesus to be of a divine nature. Some terms in the Quran about Jesus, he is the son of Mary, he is called the Messiah, Christ, servant of God, the messenger of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the sign of God. All these terms are right there in the Holy Quran. Truly, the likeness of Jesus with God is as the likeness of Adam. He created him of dust and then said to him, be, and he was. 
when it comes to issues of Muslim character and ethics, action, excelling goodness, enjoying what is right, or good what is wrong, be educated, be pure, clean, all this comes part of what we practice as Muslims around you. We do believe that humanity is one family. If one suffers, everyone will. The life is sacred and to be protected. You should love each other and we should show moderation in everything. We should be just, take care of all those people that we care about. Our Prophet Muhammad is the last messenger and prophet sent by God. He is considered to us as Muslims the seed of prophets, the truthful one, the honest, the mercy to mankind. And remember, Muhammad is not the founder of Islam. Muhammad came as a last messenger of the faith that has been coming throughout history. He was born in Mecca, year 570, which is now the city of Saudi Arabia. He is a descendant of Ishmael, the first son of Abraham. He received his first revelation, the Quran. He was at the age of 40 through the angel Gabriel and died at 632, living 23 years as a prophet, 63 years as a person for his total life. He's a human being. He brought a noble mission, which was to unite humanity in worshiping God. He was a clear warner to mankind of the Day of Judgment. He taught mankind to be honest. He is a religious teacher, a social reformer, a ruler, a governor, a legislator, a moral guide person, a faithful friend, a devoted husband, a loving father, names. When you read the Encyclopedia Britannica, a massive detail in the early sources show that he, Muhammad, was an honest and upright uh, man. Uh, George Bernard Shaw said, he must be called the savior of humanity. I believe that if a man like him were to assume the dictatorship of the modern world, he would succeed in solving its problems in any way that would bring it much needed peace and happiness. There is too many, this is from the Mahatma Gandhi, um, Michael Hart in his recently published book, The Hundred, he did include Muhammad as number one of the people that had influence on, on, on people. These are some sayings and words that the Prophet said. God has no mercy on one who has no mercy for others. None of you truly believes until he wishes for his brother what he wishes himself. You're going to have to run a little bit faster because I want to uh, be limited to the time that we gave ourselves here. We as Muslims believe in six pillars of faith and we practice five pillars of Islam. The six pillars of faith is that we believe in the oneness of God, that's one. We believe in the creation of angels, that's two. We believe in revealed books, the ones we mentioned before, the Torah, the Injil, and so on, or the uh, Bible on Jesus. We also believe in prophets and messengers, and the name came with us, like Isaac. Around 25 prophets from Adam, Noah, Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Solomon, David, John, so on. Around 25 of them were mentioned in the Holy Quran. 
we also believe in the day of judgment and we believe in God's control over human destiny and all over their affairs. And when it comes to the five pillars of Islam, we have what we spoke a little bit briefly about it, the declaration of faith, shahada, that's the Arabic term, the five daily prayers, and I will just brief you a little bit, and I, one more time, I would like to extend an invitation to every one of you to go and observe it to yourself, so you would have more uh, ability to relate to what I will be saying to what you might be seeing. It would be better information for you. Muslims are to put everything they are doing for a period of five minutes per time, five times a day. If you are busy working, if you are studying, one, the first prayer starts very early in the morning at dawn, the second prayer exactly at noon, the third prayer will be at afternoon, the fourth one will be at sunset, and the fifth one will be late evening. For five minutes, people will have to wash their hands to the elbows, wash their face, wipe on their head, and wash their feet, and stand facing Mecca, the city, and recite the opening chapter of the Holy Quran when standing up, they will bow down and they will rush straight to the floor and when they are doing that they will say praise be to God. Of course all that is conducted in Arabic. The second pillar is the prayer which is five times a day. The third one will be charity or zakah, the term in Arabic. Each Muslim should give two and a half percent of their savings per year to the poor. It's not tax money that you give to the government. It is money of your savings, two and a half percent. If you have a saving of one thousand dollars, you should give twenty-five dollars to the poor. You start by your family members, and then if all your family members are fine and living a decent life, then you would go to your neighbors, and then the circle widens and widens to whomever you reach among the poor people. The fourth pillar, which I will just speak a little bit about it, because we are living now the month of Ramadan. Ramadan, we fast in this holy month. Ramadan is the name of the ninth month in our lunar calendar. Our calendar depends on the moon. We have six months of 29 days and six months of 30 days. It does not come 28 or 31. So a total of 354 days, which means we are 11 days short from the Gregorian calendar. But this also means that Ramadan is not fixed in one season. So if we are to fast today in winter, 10 years from now it will be in autumn, and then in uh, summer, and then in spring. It keeps going backwards. And the period of 33 years, a Muslim, if he lived 33 years fasting, he would have fast every single day of the whole year, in different seasons. And that means also that when you are fasting in December, you are fasting around 10 and a half hours or 11 hours. But when we are fasting in July, we are fasting around 18 hours. The reason for that is, fasting starts at dawn in the morning till sunset in the evening. And in July, dawn is around like 3.30 in the morning, and sunset is around 8.30 in the evening. But in December, dawn starts like at around 6.30, and sunset is around 4.30. So it varies. It, it really gets tough in, in, in July. Uh, fasting is meant for you to relate to the spirituality put in you. That when you choose 
with your free will to quit what is the source of energy to support your biological body it means you are giving more strength more focus on your spiritual side that you take a decision and you execute it and you implement it it is meant to remember that you are made of two essences or two uh, uh, references that God made you unique with the combination of these two the dirt and the soul if you are to focus throughout the whole year just feeding yourself bringing things to please your pleasures and desires Ramadan which is the spiritual month where you are to put these things no food, no water, no drink, no sexual intercourse every day from dawn in the morning till sunset in the evening at the evening you break your fast you eat your food, you eat your breakfast you go back to normal life till the morning of the next day till the dawn of the next day if this was meaning something it means that you need to look into your spiritual side and let it grow and let it nourish also it's about remembering those people who are not fortunate around the world who might be living on, on a daily basis fasting not because they want to fast but because they have no food so when you feel the hunger the pain going into because of uh, not having access to, to food uh, free will you can imagine what type of pain and problems going around the world so it will initiate some positive actions to ease the problems for those people around the world the last pillar of uh, Islam which I will end my uh, session for uh, this moment now is pilgrimage every Muslim who is able financially and his health will admit him to do that he is or she is required to make once in a lifetime a trip to the city of Mecca over there we have to pray and the mosque that was initiated by Abraham we have to go between two hills where Hajar, the wife of Abraham had to walk between these two looking for people to help herself and her son so we go and we walk the same track and then we go to a place where Abraham threw pebbles at Satan when Satan came in the shape of a human being trying to convince him not to slaughter his own son when he was ordered to as a test from God but then Abraham insisted that there was revelation from God and he threw pebbles at Satan so we go there and we throw pebbles the same way Abraham did what would that mean that we are reliving those moments of submission and surrender to God to feel the importance of those people to relate and to connect to them and to live those moments of submission in a way that will reflect on us in a spiritual way I hope that I have presented to you something either would be new of a benefit for you or something that you might have known already but probably uh, uh, renew some of these information for you in a different way and I will uh, give uh, now the platform if there's any questions uh, feel free to raise your hand and then uh, first come first uh, yes sir yes smoking is considered among things that will break your past we will exclude any any medical inhalers if someone has some sort of chest problems and you need to take 
an inhaler, yes, that will not break your fast. But just smoking, it will break your fast. You should put smoking. I'm saying you, I mean, in general. People should put smoking regardless if it was Ramadan or not Ramadan. That's our advice to you. Any other question? Yes, ma'am. There is no difference. In the beginning of the session, we spoke about Islam being a uh, universal religion that's open to all people of race, color, ethnicity, culture. So black Muslims do not practice a different that I misunderstand. I don't mean I didn't mean African American. I meant like Louis Farrakhan, Malcolm X. Okay. They call themselves black Muslims. Sure. Um, and I was under the. If you were more specific about Nation of Islam, I would have asked. If it was to certain sects or groups of people, we believe that the mainstream Muslims are called the Sunni Muslims which uh, around like 85% of the Muslim population worldwide. The next major sect after that comes the Shiites, which are located now you know, in Iraq, Iran, and so on. Uh, some major differences focuses on who is worthy to be a leader in Islam. That's one of the major differences between us as Sunni mainstream Muslims and Shiite, the sect, because they limit leadership to the family of the Prophet. We understand that any person who has the qualification to be a leader could take that role. When it comes to the nation of Islam, we do disagree with them on a major item of our six pillars. When we uh, ran through the six pillars of faith, we said that Muhammad is the prophet and the last. What they presented is to be a new prophet after Muhammad. Now, we totally disagree with that, and we believe that does not represent Islam. So, in that term, yes, there are different sects in which we disagree on that term. Yes, sir. First, the As far as? Sure. Yes, uh, the difference between Sunnis, Shiites, and Kurd, Kurdish or Kurds. And here comes sometimes the media really gets you a little bit messed up, you know. Uh, all Kurds are Sunnis. All Kurds are Sunnis. Maybe few of them are, are Shiites. But the majority, but because of the war in Iraq and the type of media, you know, you listen to, you get mixed up between the ethnicity and the culture and the religion and the and race. Uh, the main two uh, sects of Islam are Sunnis and Shias. Okay? But other Sunnis, there could be Kurdish, there could be Turkish, there could be Iraqis, there could be Iranians, there could be whatever. And under Shiites, there could be Turkish, there could be Kurds, there could be... So it's the race. 
The ideological definition, it, it, it needs a little bit more explanation, but let me make it brief. If it is to differentiate between Sunnis and Shiites, as I, uh, I just answered the name just prior to you, we do believe that Sunnis represent the mainstream Islam that was preserved. The Shiites, we believe, because I'm a Sunni, that they misinterpreted some of the text that took it out of the context and then they limited their understanding to a way that would limit leadership in Islam to the family of the Prophet that some descriptions of the uh, leaders and then would have the qualities of a Prophet which we don't agree on that so these are some of the ideological differences but then when it comes to Kurds, Iraqis, Turkish, Lebanese, Moroccans, Americans these are you know uh, different uh, ethnicities and races the second question for reconciliation, we don't believe there's a third party between an individual and God. Each one in Islam would have to connect with God directly. That's one. Number two, we don't have clergy in Islam. I am not a holy entity. I am not ordained by someone of a higher level than I am. Anyone who is a Muslim can become an imam, a shaykh, or a scholar, or whatever term in Arabic we give it to that. It's a matter of knowledge. You go get your bachelor's degrees in Islamic studies, your master's, your PhD, and then you be recognized as a scholar of, of the text. Then the practice itself, that you have to conduct yourself, you know, as, as a true Muslim who doesn't do things wrong, who doesn't disobey God, and so on. So when someone focuses on the studies of the Quran, on the studies of the tradition of the Prophet, it will bring him on the level of being a leader, an imam, a sheikh, you know, the terms that people use for people leading them. But that would not give us some holy entity that we will use it for people to come and say, okay, I'm going to help you reconciliate or be uh, uh, a connection between you and God. We believe the term repentance, the term asking God forgiveness is a right for each individual between him and his God. There is no third party. Any other questions? Yes. No. It is in reference to some of their doctrines and beliefs. All the practices are same. They would fast like us. They would pray like us. Uh, they would uh, do pilgrimage like us. But what we believe is the most important difference is in what you believe. And that's where we disagree with just one certain matter. Yes. Sure. We do believe that angels are created from light. And humans were created from dirt. And Satan's or devils or the term we give it jinn, genium, are made from fire. Satan for us is not an angel by, by essence. He was a honorable level of jinn who used to hang out with angels. And then when the order came from God to angels to bow down to Adam after his creation, he refused so he was cursed. Because angels do not choose 
between what is right and what is wrong. Humans and jinn do. That's why Satan, when he was told to bow in respect to Adam, he refused. If he would be an angel, he would not have the choice to reject God's order period. We do believe that angels are created for specific things in life that are more servants of God, nothing else. Gabriel, for example, is the assigned angel to bring revelation to prophets. There are angels who will protect human beings. There are angels who will document the actions of the human beings. For us, we don't recognize their presence as something of holiness, but more of a respect, more of harmony between someone who chooses to worship God that he is trying to match and be in harmony with those angels that are in full obedience and surrendering and submission to God. But a human being can reach a level higher in honor than angels sometimes. The reason for that. God created angels and gave them intelligence without any desires and pleasures. And God created animals and gave them a matter of desires and pleasures but without intelligence. And humans were created with both. We, we have the combination of two. So if a human decides to do the righteous thing while his desires and pleasures are telling him no, go follow your desires. But he ignores that and do something of the perfection. He is in a higher level than angels. Because angels don't know how to do wrong. They only know how to do things right. But if I know how to do something wrong and I choose to do the righteous thing, I could be better than angels. At the same time, I could be worse than animals. I could see a lion running after a gazelle or a deer hunting to eat and he would kill to survive. But how many people we have seen on TV shooting for the fun of killing? We could see the lion grabbing that deer from the neck to speed the process of killing out of his inclination that God made him part to make the killing easy. But how many times we have seen on TV people torturing each other to death? So yes, you could be better than angels, and you could be worse than animals. Any other question? Maybe one minute left for one last question. So we will be prompt on time. Nothing? Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.